0: Ain't no grave, I love that song. That's, Sunny sings it better than Johnny Cash, doesn't she? Yeah. That's good stuff. Hey, glad you're here this morning. It's great to see everyone. Super Bowl Sunday, right? Anybody excited about that? You know, Browns aren't there. Yeah, I get it, yeah, so. So 49ers, who's for the 49ers? Wow. (laughs) Whoa. How about the Chiefs? Anyone for the Chiefs? Okay. Wow. Wow, it's like unanimous in here. We'll we'll see second hour how that goes, but uh, yeah, that's good stuff. Good stuff. Well, that that'll be our entertainment for the evening, but right now we are jumping into our series Ephesians, and it's Paul's letter to the Ephesians, but we call it Paul's letter to Ohio. It's really Paul's letter to us. And then last week we were looking as he sprung into this letter to Ephesus. And he talked about how believers already have every spiritual blessing. And now we're going to try to wrap up the first chapter and then take on the uh, first 10 verses of chapter 2. And Paul's going to cover a few more things. Really, there's three sections here. First of all, he's going to thank God for the believers and then that he and, and he's going to tell us why he has confidence that they are believers. Then he's going to pray for them. We're going to see what he prays for them. What he prays. So why he knows they're believers. What he prays for 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 those believers, and then also how to become believers. So we ready to dive in. All right. Hey, that's pretty good. All right, we're ready. We're ready to jump in. Ephesians one, beginning with verse fifteen. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And I just want to stop there. He's talking here about, hey, I'm praying for you, and I've heard about you, and there are two things that gives Paul confidence that they're believers. really two tests for us to be believers First of all, he says their faith, their faith in Jesus. And the Bible always puts faith first. And this is a little different than how our world looks at at how people ought to be. Because the world would say, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're good or kind or gracious or you don't hurt anybody. But the Bible is always telling us, no, what you believe actually comes first. It's important what you believe. And what you believe then determines not only what you do with your life, how you live, but why you live it that way. Because sometimes we can actually do good things For the wrong reasons. And the Bible just gets back to, hey, Scripture says faith is always first. It comes first. And it's just not faith, of course. It's faith in someone. Faith in Christ Jesus. And then the second test for believers is love for the saints. That's the next thing. He says, hey, I've heard about this. And and he's excited about it. Faith is primary But how we live and how we live in love shows that our faith is real. And again, uh, this is kind of interesting because today you have people who say, well, I believe, but then they live like they don't believe. And you can almost pull any examples you want. You can look at the Ten Commandments or whatever, but we'll just take a couple of them. Like, Like we can all imagine a guy who who even though the Christian church for 2,000 years from Scripture would teach us, and again, not every new Christian knows this yet, but that we shouldn't have a, a physical relationship with someone before marriage, right? You know, it's kind of basic. I mean, we've, we've strayed a long way from that as a culture and society, but that's just one of the things that we should do as believers, is we shouldn't have sex before marriage, And then let's just throw out another one, like uh, we as believers should also be forgiving. Or you could just pick any two or three Ten Commandments or or just one of them. But we can easily determine in our mind, we can easily imagine a person, because this happens all the time, where some guy who's living with someone, and he holds grudges all the time. And when you question him and say, well, you know, where are you at with Christ? He says, oh yeah, no problem there. I believe. I have faith in Jesus. And, and then, but but you're not living that way. And so here, and I'm not saying that he couldn't live that way and be a Christian. What I'm pointing out is this: if you're living that way, if you're non-repentant and you're comfortable in your sin, you should not presume that you're a Christian. You should not have confidence in your Christian faith because you're not living it out. God is calling us to repent, to turn to him, to model our life after him. None of us do that perfectly. Please don't get me wrong. But when we mess up, we admit it. We repent and try to do right is what I'm saying. We should have a deep love for others. Our faith should impact the way we live. We should love others, especially believers, no matter where they live in the world, no matter who they are. And uh, some of you know that this week we're heading out with a team to Thailand, and we're going there because in northern Thailand we have two orphanages, and you, as a church family, you have loved them. Some of you have faithfully given to them, some of you have just faithfully supported our church so we can do things like this, but you have loved these kids, and the staff, because you have provided everything they need or have needed for the past 12 years. That's love. Love is action. And so we're going to go as representatives, and please be praying for us as we go that things would go well, and, and we're just representatives of your love for them. And it's a cool thing. We have a great time when we do that. Christians are concerned for others especially for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, not only does Paul kind of throw out the why he believes they're Christians, because he's heard this about them, their faith in Christ, their love for the saints. And in the Bible, by the way, saints is just all believers. Saints, that doesn't mean, oh, they really love the super Christians like Paul. No, saints is just the way scripture says, all believers. So you and I, biblically, if if we're trusting in Christ, we're a saint. Is that good news? Not a New Orleans saint, but a saint. (laughs) And then, so he mentions why he's confident they're believers. And here's the next section. We notice what Paul prays for believers because this next section then is a prayer. And and God, he first thanks God for them, and then he prays for them. And this is interesting to me because probably all of us as believers, we regularly pray. We pray to God. And most of the time, we pray to God about our physical needs, our daily needs. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. That's okay. We, we're told in Scripture we can pray for our physical needs. What's interesting is in the first century Ephesus, which is a dangerous place for Christians to live. We talked about a little bit about that last week. First century Ephesus, I'm sure they had a lot of physical needs. Way more than probably any of us have. But yet, that's not what Paul prays. So it's interesting to notice what Paul prays to God for them. And notice what he says. He, He prays that the believers, so here's his main prayer, that they would understand God and know God better. So here's his prayer, and then he breaks it down in three ways. But he says, I, I pray that you would understand God and that you, you would know God better. And that's interesting because the closer, the better we know God, the closer we come to God changes the way we live and also changes the way we perceive our needs. It changes what we perceive that our needs are actually. So here's how this goes, and I want to pick it up in verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. And so... Right there, there's three specific things that he is praying. He wants us to know Christ, understand God, and know him better, and then to know him better specifically in these three ways. That that we would be spiritually enlightened, or that they would be spiritually enlightened, so that they would, first of all, know the hope of his calling. Now, here's the problem. I point this out a lot every time we come across this word, that the word hope in Greek is a hard word to translate into English because our hope and the Greek hope, it's not exactly the same. Hope in Scripture is a certain expectation that something's going to happen where we use hope uh, about some uncertain thing and we hope that it goes a certain way right? That's how this thing that we don't know, and I hope this turns out right because it's uncertain and I don't know how it's going to turn out. It would be like saying, I hope the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. So you hope. But that's not the way the hope that I'm reading here, that's not what it means in the Greek. In the Greek, it is a certain expectation, a confidence that you know something's gonna happen in the future. And typically we know that because God has promised that. So it's in the bank, we don't have to worry about it. Our hope is that we know this will happen. Not that we hope, we hope, we hope, and maybe it won't happen. It's no, we know, certain expectation, it will happen. That's our hope. We just don't really have a word for that. And so we translate it, hope, but that's what it means. So we know the hope of his calling this certain expectation of what it means to be called by God. And then secondly, we know the riches of his inheritance. And at first we might read this and think, oh yeah, before we talked about how we've been adopted into his family and so we get his inheritance, we get the inheritance of Christ, which which is kind of true, but that's actually not what he's saying. Actually here, God is calling us, his people, the saints, if you will, he's calling us... His inheritance, which is way amazing, right? God has chosen us as his people, and we are his possession. We are his inheritance. And then third, he says, no, the greatness of his power. And what he means by that is he's saying he prays that we as believers, Ephesian believers, and and by extension us too, that we would come to understand the magnitude of God's power and how he uses that for our benefit. That's what he's saying. God, all-powerful, uses his power for the benefit of believer. He, He puts that power to work for us on our behalf. And so that's the first two sections. Why he's confident that they're believers. And then What he prays for, those believers. And then now it's this, how to become a believer. Let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. All right, kind of a mouthful there, but Paul Paul starts. He he actually starts off by destroying two myths about evil that are ingrained in our world today. And and must have been the same way then. People don't like to talk about evil. A lot of times people chafe when you even mention evil. But but even though we don't like to talk about it, there are two myths about evil that are ingrained. Two wrong ways of thinking about evil that, that just about everybody thinks that way. Ingrained in our culture today. And the first one is this. That the problem of evil is out there. People view evil always as something out there. And so we lock our doors and we filter our internet and we do all these things to keep the evil away from us. Paul's saying, no, that's, that's, that's not your biggest concern there. It's not just out there. It's in here. It comes from Emma in us. And then the second thing is that we are not really that bad that we are basically good. And I don't know exactly where this came from. Maybe there there was a a very popular psychologist that some of you maybe studied in college, Carl Rogers, Rogerian, you know, thought. And Carl Rogers basically said, hey, everybody's good. It's just that we... We get caught up in these social constructs that twist that and then we, we lose sight of the inner good in us and we kind of do wrong things. The problem with that is he doesn't tell us where those social constructs came from because where did they come from? Us. You know, that, that's the problem with that. But somehow this thought, even though nobody knows Carl Rogers hardly anymore, somehow this thought has caught on where we just feel like we are not that bad, that people are basically good. And that's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible is saying that people are basically bad. People might do good things. A lot of times they do good things for the wrong reasons, for their own glory, so they'll feel good about themselves, so other people will respect them, and on and on and on. But he's scripture's telling us we are not basically good. We're basically fallen. It's not just out there. It's in us. And, and Paul blows This kind of thinking up with his first sentence, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's all of us. Sin clings to us. And because of that, we need to understand some things. And here, Paul summarizes salvation for us. He says, first of all, salvation is a gift we do not deserve. It's a pure gift. We can never earn it. There's nothing we can do to even contribute to our salvation. Why? Because we are spiritually dead in our sins. Dead in our sins. Before Jesus, we, we followed the world system, we ult, which is ultimately Satan. We were disobedient to God. We followed the desires of our flesh and the desires of our mind. You and I, because of that, you and I deserve the wrath of God. That's the other thing nobody wants to talk about, the wrath of God. Of course, Jesus talked about that a lot. He talked about hell more than he did heaven you and i deserve the righteous the correct the right judgment wrath of god is what scripture is telling us all of us deserve that everything good is a gift from god especially our salvation and then he describes how that plays out in us once we become a believer he says he made us alive With Jesus. He raises us up with Jesus. He seats us in the heavenlies with Christ. What he's telling us is in a legal sense, we are so united in Christ once we become a believer that we get what Jesus deserves seated in heaven, and he got what we deserved. The essence of sin is substituting ourselves for God and the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us he pays our price we get his reward that's kind of what salvation's all about and then the next thing is so salvation can never be earned we've got to understand that that we are spiritually dead we start off that way we have to understand that And then when we understand this truth about salvation, when we get that, then we need to understand that we receive salvation through faith. Pick it up in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus Four good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, there's a rub here, and it's in verse 8. So I want to go back and look at verse 8. So focus in verse 8. We'll put it up on the screen. People read this differently, and here's why. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. And so this is key. What is the that referring to? What's not of ourselves? And, so, and this goes back to kind of that debate we were talking about last week. Some people say, well, the that, and it's the most natural way we read it in our English Bible, that refers to faith. That even the faith that we have, that's not of ourselves. God gives us that. But actually in the Greek, some people would push back and say, well, well, actually, here's the problem with that. In the Greek, there are feminine, masculine, and neuter words. And so faith is a feminine word. And so the that that was referring back to faith, we would assume would be the feminine form of that. But it's not the feminine form. It's actually the neuter form, which then would, would make us think that maybe that's not what he's talking about but he's also not talking about grace because grace is also in the feminine form, but this is neuter. Probably because of that, people push back and say, probably the best way to understand that is that that is actually referring back to salvation, which is by grace through faith, but it, it's mainly the salvation, but it's as a whole, by grace through faith. So it's the whole package is a gift of God. And, and when we, since we're at this, and we understand that God's in control of everything. We studied last week how you know, we're, we've been chosen for the foundation of the world, predestination, how that works with our own free will, and sort of the issues that, that bother a lot of us when we think through that. because It's just hard to figure out. And we tend to limit God by our own intellect. But you ever wonder it this way? Why through faith? It could have just been we're saved by grace. I mean, we're chosen, we're picked, God died for us, and we're just saved by grace. But it's not we're just saved by grace. We're saved by grace through faith. Why? Why through faith? Why is that part of the puzzle? And here here it is. Because we know from the way the Bible was written and how people interacted with others, the through faith is there because somehow, mysteriously, in a way that we don't fully understand, even though God is sovereign and in control and even though God chose us, there is still an aspect to salvation that involves our will, our own volition, our own choice. Somehow that's wrapped into the, the whole salvation deal even though it's a total gift that we don't deserve any more than anyone else the pushback on that is the other side maybe i ought to get off of this but then other people say well if you're doing anything then that's a work but i don't faith scripture is telling us faith is not a work although faith produces works let me illustrate it this way let's say uh, you you go to toledo or somewhere let's say or, or you go to Thailand, or you go somewhere south where people are out panhandling. Doesn't happen a lot in the winter. But, you know, they're panhandling. There's a guy sitting on the sidewalk, and he's got a sign. And the sign says, you know, he needs money. And uh, and, and let's say some rich guy walks by, and he pulls out a wad of cash, and he thumbs out $10,000. Grabs the guy's little tin cup and jams the wad in there. You know, the guy's like thanks. Total gift, right? Would we say because the guy sitting there reached out for it that, well, yeah, it's almost a total gift except for the guy did reach out and grab it. No, that's not the way we think, right? No, that's a total gift. Did the guy earn that in any way? Was part of that him because he he reached out for it? No. It's, that doesn't take anything away from the fact that it's a total 100% gift, That's the way faith is. It's not a work in the sense that we think of work, something that we do, something that partially earns what's happening there. And again, faith doesn't save. It's the person we have faith in that saves. And so when you get down to the crux of it, it's a little tricky to define faith in the context especially of predestination and all that predetermined and, and the best illustration i have for my life is something some of you have already heard and that's because faith is putting your trust in something you cannot see and so i'll, I'll use a, a story from when i was a teenager and out rock climbing and i was on i was with a guy who was a better climber than i was a really wiry strong guy named scott good friend of mine who who could just, he can hold his body weight on his fingertips. You know, I can't do that, but anyway. So he's leading the way, and I'm following. And I get on this rock face, and I don't know, maybe I'm 100 feet up or whatever, and, and I get stuck. I mean... You're plastered because just moving an inch away from the rock will pull you right off. And it's smooth. There's just not much. And so you always try to have at least three points that you're holding on, which is a big toe over here pushing that way, and maybe your foot pushing this way on that one. And then, you're, and then I have one free hand in my left hand, and, 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 and I get stuck. And I can't, and going down is even harder, and I'm stuck. I'm actually out of the corner of my eye looking at a top of a pine tree And I'm thinking, well, if I fall, I should shove and try to go into that pine tree, which will sort of break my fall. Because even at the end of the 100 feet, then it's just a a, a rocky slope, you know. So it's not good. I mean, I'm, I'm stuck and I'm going, this is bad. I can't even turn my head. I can't turn my head because clearing my nose would pull me off the mountain. And I'm just plastered there and I'm like, wow, how stupid of I was for me to follow this guy. Well, he's on a ledge above me. He gets where he can see and he's looking down and I'm like, I'm stuck. And he's like, Kevin, there's a bomber right beyond your left hand. And a bomber or a bucket or a jug, there's a lot of names for a great handhold where your fingers can actually go down into it because that's such a big deal to mountain climbers They have more than one name for it. It's like bucket, jug, a bomber. It's like, there's a bomber just like three inches beyond your hand. And I'm like, I'm stretching, I can't reach it. And he's like, you just have to go for it. Trust me, it's there. <laughs> and so that requires something what climbers call a dyno, which is a short for dynamic movement, which basically means you have to let go. Because you can't stretch and grab it. You can't have a point in contact and still grab it. Of course, I don't have a lot of good options. And it's not like this when I say a dino move. I don't mean like I'm leaping through the air. I'm just, I just got to let go of everything because it's just a, you know, maybe six inches away. So I just have to go. And hopefully I feel a bomber. One hand. That's a really good grip. And so I do that. That's faith. I can't see it. He can. Faith is trusting in what he can see and I can't. Faith in God is when we can't see. When we, we trust in something we can't see, but God is telling us. God can see it. God is telling us it's true. And so here I am. I made it. I, I made the dino. And I got up there and I realized I will never follow him up a rock face again because we're free climbing. There's no ropes. There's no nothing. Free solo, they call it. Anyway. And then some people say, well, Kevin, even your illustration, faith, it required the jump. No, that's not the faith part. The faith part is determining I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. I'm going for it. Because it takes total commitment. If I don't grab the bomber, I'm done. I I slide, fall, and then slide down the mountain. Which, by the way, for them to get rescue people, you know, that would have taken forever. So it just, it takes total commitment. To me, total commitment to trust. And that's what we need to do when we become believers. That doesn't mean that there's a complete absence of doubt. I mean, you can be totally committed, but you're going... Okay, (laughs) yikes, scary. No, it's putting your trust, it's going for it. It's putting your trust in God. We just have to trust faith. It's resting all of your hope for salvation just on Jesus. Nothing else, it's... That's that's it. That's all you have. And so then we see as he works through this in the third section here, the third part of this as he describes, he summarizes salvation as a result of salvation is good works. That's what we've been talking about. That's what keeps coming up. That once we've trusted in Christ... And we're totally committed. I mean, we're all in. But that doesn't mean we never have doubts and we never have messed up. We have doubts and mess up. But, but we, once we've placed our trust in Christ and we receive the salvation that we've been talking about for two weeks, when we get that, when God gives us everything, although we deserve nothing, That changes our view of God. It changes our view of life. It changes our view of what we do, what's important, what's a priority. And it produces works in our life. That's the verse 10 part. It's that that we're trying to get to with our motto. You know, our motto that we use now at Grace, we just started this not too long ago, but it's, you know, we're here to help people what? Discover truth, and the truth we want them to discover mainly is the truth that that salvation cannot be earned, that Jesus came to provide this for us. So discover truth, and once you discover it, then decide on Jesus. That's the faith part. Decide. Are you going to trust Jesus or not? Decide on Jesus. But once you decide on Jesus, because I have a lot of people running around saying I'm a Christian, but they're not living like Christians. Discover truth, decide on Jesus. But after you decide on Jesus, then it's demonstrate change in your life. That doesn't earn your salvation at all. That just shows that your salvation is real. Demonstrate change and then also deploy for others. Why? Because you love others you you do it's demonstrate change in your life how you view things how you live but then deploy for other means you're getting involved in what god is actively doing in this world and that all boils down to us pointing people to christ and the question is are you there and so, you know, every month or so, we, we just boil it down to, do you know that you have put your trust in Christ alone for your salvation? And the way you know is you should be able to think back to a time. And that, if you got saved as a kid, that could be a little foggy. And then how you determine that is that you see change in your life. And, if again, if you're saved as a child, that could be a little tough to see, too, for me. I believe I, I gave my life to Christ when I was 11 years old in, in a place called Roswell, New Mexico. But as I started rethinking that as an older teenager when I was 17, I kept thinking, "Why? Wow, I, I know I did that, but I don't remember if I knew everything that I should have known about salvation when I was 11." And that started bothering me, and I started wondering, "Did I really get saved at 11?" And here's what I did at 17. At 17, I said, you know, why am I struggling with this? God is just waiting. So I said, hey, at 17, I just did that business with God. Hey, God, just for the record, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm estranged from you. And I know that you died. You sent your son to die for my sins. And I'm trusting in Christ, your son, and Christ alone for my salvation. Just for the record. And so my assurance of salvation comes from when I was 17. Because even now, as an old man, I can remember what I knew when I was 17. But at 17, I couldn't remember exactly what I knew was 11. Go figure. So this is what we're talking about. Do you know that you've put your trust in Christ? Because it should show up in your life. You should see a stark contrast of how you would be or how you were without Christ. And how you are in Christ. And so I don't want to close the service without giving you an opportunity to to respond to that in some way. We're saved by faith alone. But faith that saves is never alone. Does that make sense? We're saved by faith alone. But faith that saves, it's never alone. It always produces Work. It always changes our life. And if we don't have that, then we shouldn't have confidence that we're a believer. If we're not repentant, we should not have confidence. And he's saying here that God's already laid out the good works for us, he's already predetermined what we'd be doing, he's already equipped us, he's already given us everything we need to do good works. And that's why the Christian life ends all boasting. It's all over. Because everything is grace. So here it is. It, if you're not sure, are you ready to put your trust in Christ? Are you ready to go out all committed? Doesn't mean you don't have any questions, that you're, you're grasping one thing, Jesus. Are you ready to put your trust in Christ? In Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation. Are you ready to trust the one who made you? Are you ready to put all your trust in the one who loves you? Are you ready to put all your trust in the the God who created you, made you, loves you, and died for you? Because that's a decision that you have to make. And it's the most important decision that you can ever make on this planet. Just that. So right now, I'd like us to bow our heads. And, and if you're not sure, I just, I want to help you. I want to lead you through this. I want you to understand that it's not saying a certain set of words that, that saves us. It's the faith, the trust, the belief that we have in our heart. It's grabbing onto Jesus. And if you're thinking that maybe, just maybe, you've never done that before. And you are now. You can express that faith in Christ in a prayer like this, and you should. Make this prayer your prayer. Father God in heaven, I I know that I have sinned against you. I've broken your commands. I've been alienated from you. I know the right thing is that I would be separated from you forever in a place called hell. But God, I also know that you not only created me, you not only know everything about me, you love me. Even though I don't deserve it. And you allowed your son Jesus to come and die on the cross to pay for my sins, to pay my sin debt, to take my place. And God, I know that's all I have. All my trust is in Jesus. There's nothing else I have to to show myself good. I'm just falling on the mercy of Jesus that he died for me. And based on that, I ask you to, to save me, to cleanse me, to wash me. I ask you to come into my life by way of your spirit and help me to follow you. Help me to live a life that's pleasing to you. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. With our heads still still bowed, and I'm doing this for a reason. If you prayed that prayer, I mean, and, and as far as you know, sincerely, it may be the first time that you ever prayed that prayer. express that to God or really had trust in Christ the way I described it the way scripture describes it then I would like you to just take some small step even if it's just raising your hand so that I can see to say Kevin yes I've taken that step today I'm a little foggy on whether I've done that before today I know so right now I'd like you with heads bowed put your hand up thanks just put your hand up and then you can put it down thank you thank you Thanks, I see you there. Just put it up, back down. Just say, hey, Kevin, today, I'm not sure about before, I'm not sure about when, but I know today that I've made this decision and I've expressed it to you. Just hand up and then write back down. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. And Lord, as we close out this service with song, Lord, help us to direct our hearts to you. And God, if there's anyone here who something is preventing them to take that step of faith, Lord, that they they would get those questions answered, that we would be able to help them as a church family to answer those questions and help them to take that other step so that they can see their love for you. God, thank you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's stand together.